0: listening to the oil and gas this week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry.
1: You're listening to the oil and gas this week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 312. Hey, Mark.
0: You know what? What? It's hot. It is. You know what else? It's still hot. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We're going to pick our mixers back up in August. So if anybody's wanting to know where they were. Speaking of hot, right? Speaking of hot, Ooh,
1: finally got one good.
0: We took the summer off and we're going to pick back up in August. So... We have August, September, and I believe October sold. So, we have one month left this year. So, if you want to sponsor one of our industry mixers, we have one month left, which is November. Mm-hmm. Reach out to me. Happy to share the details.
1: It's still going to be hot.
0: By November, will be good. Maybe. Yeah. And then, as always, if you want to leave a review, we have an easy way to do it. Just go to show notes and click on the link. Or if you want to try to memorize it, it's lovethepodcast.com forward O G T. W, you wanna read the review?
1: Yeah, five star review, third oil and guest podcast I tried, had to have a developmental goal for work, so I chose using podcast weekly to learn more about the industry. I now listen every day on my way to work. Great personalities and great information from Chevy Lawton O Nine. From the
0: US. This might be the first time that somebody's told us that we were a develop- we had satisfied their needs for a developmental goal at work. Yay. So any people out there that are listening, this is a really good idea. When you get your performance review, you know, and you have to talk to your manager about your development goals, make it sound like it's a struggle. Say, man, I really don't know if I have the time, but I could learn a lot and listen to oil and gas this week. And then easy
1: peasy. Mm-hmm. Lemon squeezy. I'm on a roll today. Okay, let's get into the news stories. First up is TC Energy to spin off pipeline business.
0: Yeah, so TC Energy, if you don't know, is a Canadian pipeline company. If you read the press release, they're talking about unlocking shareholder value, providing both companies the flexibility to pursue their own growth objectives, their disciplined capital allocation, enhancing efficiencies, and driving operational excellence. Let me tell you what's really going on. Mm -hmm. So TC Energy believes that in the future, owning hydrocarbon moving pipelines Mm -hmm. is going to be negative or it's going to hurt their business. So what they're doing is they're separating the business into two. One is going to be all the pipelines that carry liquids. Think of crude oil, NGLs, that sort of stuff. And the other business is going to be the one that carries non-liquids. So think natural gas, carbon dioxide, right? Well, I hate to tell you this TC Energy – This is a really, really, really bad move. I know right now public perception is very anti-oil and gas, especially here in the U.S. and in Canada and in Europe, but it's turning around literally as we speak. And so, what you're gonna really do is split your company into two. You could keep TC Energy the name and the brand recognition with the non-liquids pipeline company, which I suspect you could try to get into moving CO2 around. Which is there's nothing wrong with that; it's a really good business model. And you got to expect that your liquids pipeline is gonna slowly decline in business as the world uses less and less hydrocarbons, and eventually, will have no need for hydrocarbons, and that business will just disappear. What's going to really happen is the opposite. Uh, Anybody out there that remembers Technique FMC, Mm -hmm. originally FMC was Farm Machinery Corporation, right? right? So before Technique bought FMC, it was uh, FMC Technologies, which – The original parent company, Farm Machinery Corporation, spun off thinking, oh, nobody's ever spend money on plets and trees and manifolds. And what happened is 20 years later, FMC Technologies was way bigger than the parent company that spun them off because they thought they would disappear. I think the same thing's going to happen here. They haven't come up with a name yet for the new liquid side, the new business of the liquid side, but this is an enormous long-term mistake. Short-term, depending on what they sell off, it's going to probably help reduce their debt a little bit. Which will help shore up their shareholder prices for a couple of years, but their CEO said that the split should bring an annual EBITDA growth rate of about seven percent and dividend growth rate between three and five percent, maybe for the next year or two. But I'm telling you, this is an enormous mistake. We'll track this yeah. to see if I'm right.
1: And speaking of TC Energy, TC Energy sells forty percent of Canada Pipeline State.
0: Yep. And they're doing this for the exact same reason. So what happened is there's another company called Global Infrastructure Partners, GIP, GIP, which I think is just funny. I don't <laughs> know why I think it's funny, but it is. <laughs> Will become a 40% owner or co-owner in TC Energy's Columbia gas transmission system. This is about a $4 billion US farm out deal. Now TC Energy's stay the operator, which is actually good because they have unbelievable amount of years of experience operating pipelines right. safely and effectively. However, what they're really doing, once again, this ties into the first story, is they are moving away from the liquids part of their pipeline business, which I think is a bad business move, and they're investing in becoming partners for their natural gas pipeline business. Now, here specifically in British Columbia… I think this is great because the pipelines that they're building in that part of canada will be able to feed the natural gas that the future lng plant that's going to be built will need so they're ahead of the supply game when this lng plant gets built that they will already have the pipelines in place to supply the natural gas and i'm sure they've already have long term if they don't have contracts signed, they have at least letters of intent signed however once again They're investing money into a part of the business that I know will become more and more commoditized, and they're walking away from the investment potential to capitalize on their liquids pipeline business, which they're just completely walking away from. So this part of it, I partner with GIP, with GIP. I'm going to just call them GIP because I like the name. This is actually a smart move, but it's not going to help them as the mistake of getting rid of their liquids pipeline business catches up with them in about 2027, 2028. Yeah. Okay
1: right on USA bill wants environmental agency to control fracking
0: <sighs> you want to guess what they're <laughs> calling this proposed act
1: oh I read it
0: earlier and I was like that's really cheesy <laughs> it's the fraction responsibility and awareness of chemicals Act of 2023 the fresh called frac <laughs> frack. basically this is utter nonsense this is given EPA the ability to regulate stuff that should not regulate. And audience, you should really click on this link and read this article. This is a great example of how you can write an article with so much bias in it, in basically an industry publication. This was in Rig Zone. So a couple of things here, the American people have the right to precisely know what chemicals these companies are pumping into our nation's water supply. Let me stop right there.
1: They already have that information in FRAC Focus.
0: Yep, and Pump it into our nation's water supply? We don't pump no. anything into our nation's water supply. No. So the water supply is very close to the surface. It's literally miles of rock before we actually start fracking beneath the water supply, beneath the aquifer. And when we penetrate that aquifer, we case it to protect it. Now, could something happen with that casing? Yeah. If it happens, will we know about it and fix it? Yeah. Is the oil and gas industry the only industry that penetrates aquifers in cases it no no let me give you a couple example every major skyscraper that you see go outside wherever you live and if you don't live near skyscrapers google skyscrapers every one of them have tremendous pilings of poured concrete and steel that support that skyscraper right those pilings penetrate the aquifer the big wind farms you see on land guess what they also need to be held up with what pilings that do what penetrate the aquifer Sewage, fresh water, palm oil, anything that's moved around in pipelines, some of those penetrate the aquifer, right? We have a long history of penetrating the aquifer in different industries and not having any risk to drinking water. And this thing just goes on and on. They call this the Halliburton loophole because they're they're naming this after the company that invented the fracking process. I have something to tell you. Halliburton did not invent the fracking process. So even, <laughs> even you're trying to call out subtly awful service companies and saying that fracking is dangerous, you got your facts wrong. Wasn't that George Mitchell? Yeah. And so you're putting stuff in legal documents that may become law that is just wrong. Now, the safe drinking water act which president w bush signed i think about 2005 is a good law to protect our nation's fresh water supply and it it was something that needed to be passed and basically it sets out a lot of monitoring parameters for anybody any industry that actually penetrates the aquifer now the problem in here is that they're talking about the hazardous chemicals that are used in in frac fluid a couple things you don't know this that frac fluid is injected in the well It's then pressurized with sand, and then it's pumped right back out. So it's only in that well for a little while. Oh, and those dangerous, noxious chemicals that nobody knows what they are, it's soap, diesel, and algicide. And you go, well, you don't want to inject diesel in the ground, people. You're injecting diesel in an oil reservoir, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of like if you had an underground, I don't know, cake chocolate fudge stream and you inject it sugar in the fudge stream. It doesn't matter because there's sugar in the fudge already.
1: I didn't need to picture that (laughs) thing.
0: Well, injecting a little bit of diesel and algicide and biocide and soap, and it's just such small amounts. This is utterly ridiculous. The EPA has no jurisdiction here, and they're trying to give them jurisdiction, once again, so the EPA can be heavy-handed and impose more costs to the oil and gas industry, which hurts who? All of All of us. Especially Our poor people. So let's just hope this doesn't pass. I'm so glad we have an election cycle coming up.
1: Yep, yep. All right, UK Prime Minister to grant hundreds of new North Sea oil gas production licenses.
0: Hey, just stop oil. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> just stop pissing people off
0: <laughs> and if you don't know why Paige and I are laughing at that there's a group in the UK that basically is doing criminal stuff to we, yeah protest. we talked about it on
1: first Friday q okay. and
0: a. and then there's another group that doesn't like what they're doing called just stop pissing people off who actually answered my tweet oh <laughs> so did they? Know, Oh, wait
1: it's not tweet anymore what's my it? my
0: ex i don't know what do you call it it's not uh,
1: like, i forgot what it is but it's really stupid yeah the whole thing's stupid but let's not go there anyway, anyway what was the anyway so i'm
0: starting to form a relationship with just stop pissing people off and <laughs> if i get my chance i'm gonna go shoot some video of what they're doing just because it's great it's love anyway so prime minister rishan sunak of the uk says you know what we're in a energy security issue with what's going on in Russia. We're going to have another winter coming pretty soon. We don't have enough energy for our people, so we're going to grant hundreds, hundreds of new North Sea oil and gas production licenses, which is the right way to go. It's interesting that they're starting to have a renewable echo terrorism pushback in the UK. And I predicted this, I told y'all this was going to happen, which by the way, TC pipeline, <laughs> I've told you, you should not have sold your liquid pipelines because of this sort of stuff. Anyway, so there's been pushback in Europe and the prime minister's taking advantage of that to get all these permits streamlined. They're actually going to hire some extra people to get these, not only get these hundreds of permits done, but get them done very quickly. And what they're trying to do is strengthen the energy security, which is super smart. Now there's also some politics or a lot of politics involved here. Couple of things that probably most people don't know in the UK when they hear this the North Sea is very mature oil fields and it's had declining, it peaked in its production probably 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's declining every year. And yes, they're making new discoveries, but they're very, very small discoveries. So, granted, these hundreds of licenses will increase supply a little bit, not as much as the UK actually needs. What they really need to do is the UK has shale geology. They need to go ahead, because remember for like three days, right after the pandemic, the prime minister then had repelled the fracking laws so they could actually frack in the UK. Mm-hmm. And then it got brought back. They need to allow the operators in the UK to start fracking where it's appropriate, besides open up these new permits for the North Sea oil. But still, from a trying to meet your nation's energy needs, this is the right thing to do. The North Sea produces some of the cleanest hydrocarbons in the world. There's very little risk for any type of environmental damage. And if there is environmental damage, this is very mature oil field. We know exactly how to handle it. We can clean it up. And this way, the people in the UK actually won't freeze to death this upcoming winter. Now, the other part of this is pricing, which I don't really want to get into here. But all these permits, even though they issue them, If the operators don't think pricings are going to facilitate them actually producing, drilling, producing, they just won't do it even though they have the permit because it doesn't make fiscal sense. And that's going to be interesting timing because I think we're going to see a pretty robust bump up in prices right at the end of this year, but that's for a later day.
1: Okay. U.S. shale pioneer optimistic despite declining production forecasts and prolific basins.
0: So this is Harold Hamm, who owns Continental Resources which was a public company until the shareholders pissed Harold off. And so he bought his own company back <laughs> from the shareholders and made it private so he could do what he wanted. When you walk into his office, there's a nine-foot statue of a snarling bull. You know what, you know what the name of that bull is? B-O-E. Uh-huh. For barrel oil equivalent, right? That's the word that you need to understand in this industry. And that's where the value is. How much liquids, how much gas? Is how is it valued? Barrel oil equivalent is actually a legal term. So a couple of things. He's talking about how the future is bright, he answers a lot of questions about the people that are saying there's decline in production in the shale fields, which is true, but with new technologies, we're actually getting around that. He's very optimistic for especially the U.S. shale. He says it hasn't even reached middle age yet, where you have a lot of people saying that it's old, it's an old plays. They are technically old plays, but the new technology of horizontal fracking totally changed that. Right. He's saying that Permian won't reach its peak production till 2035, you have some people out there saying it's going to repeat production 2025. I actually agree with him, who, by the way, we're launching a children's podcast, and he's volunteered to come on that podcast, which is going to be phenomenal.
1: I'm still waiting for him to get back to me. for. You haven't heard literature. back from
0: him? No. Yeah, you supposed to come on your show. We need to figure out what's going on with that. He has a book that's coming out. Which, it's already out. Oh, it's already out. Yeah, I did think. You, did you get a copy? Yes. How the hell did you get a copy of Harold Hill's book for anybody else gave they got ma- one. They mailed it. You're an important person. To <laughs> I Jeez, I didn't uh, get one. I wouldn't go that far, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, bottom line, let me tell you something that I think is really cool. If you go to their corporate office and you go down into the basement, there's four murals painted in the basement. Each mural represents a different shell basin in the continental US, right? Guess what else is down in that basement? Ghosts. Maybe. Two white walls. Uh-huh. And when they ask Harold, what are those white walls for? He just laughs. You know what that is? What? That's future basins that they're going to discover. Oh. I guarantee you that's what that's for.
1: Oh, it is out. It's out and it's called Game Changer.
0: Game Changer. So we give a plug for Harold's book that I didn't get one, but Paige got one somehow.
1: <laughs> um, anyway,
0: this is just great stuff. This is literally the godfather of shell Shale. The fact that he's optimistic about everything that's going on is a good sign. I agree with him. Pricing is something we need to really pay attention to. My worry is when prices go up toward the end of this year, that's cause a whole bunch of operators to increase production. And then we have the problem where we have too much production and prices will tank. But let's hope that's for another day for another discussion. But, you know, Continental is a major oil producer. Harold still calls himself a Wildcatter, and that's just about disappeared in today's world. Nobody wants to take risk anymore, which Wildcatter's all about taking risk. And then I love this quote about him that he said. He goes, you know what? These shell fields, they're a lot of fun. There's a thrill to it. It's like finding ancient wealth,
1: which is so true. Yeah, it really
0: is. It yeah, really so, is. so look forward to something from Harold, either on Paige's show, our children's show, or something. But it's just really cool to see somebody that knows the industry this well being optimistic about the future.
1: Right on. All right. Chevron extends CEO's tenure as Permian production hits record levels.
0: I would, too. <laughs> Mike Worth is kicking butt and taking names. And legend says, or rumor says, he listens to this exact podcast. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. What's up, Mike? There's a story back there. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate you listening to the podcast, Mr. Worth. Anyway, so the Chevron's board is waiving the mandatory retirement age for CEO Mike Worth, giving them more time to find a successor. Not sure how they're going to find somebody better than Mike. Now, typically, he would need to step down at 65. He is 63 this year, and so they're looking very far ahead as far as succession. Uh So they're already making the waves so that in two years when he hits 65, he can stay. So he's going to stay well beyond 2025. He has done an incredible job. He's narrowed the gap between him and – between Chevron and ExxonMobil dramatically. ExxonMobil used to be so much bigger than Chevron. Part of that, you've heard me say this before, was both Chevron and ExxonMobil made bets on the profitability of the hydrocarbon business versus the renewable business, and they actually came out ahead – Shell and BP are trying to play catch up from them making the wrong bet on that. He started out in 1982. 1982 is when I joined the Marine Corps. That's interesting. He started off as a design engineer, and they're heavily invested in the Permian. The Permian's a huge asset for Chevron. They've really learned how to operate well in that basin. Their earnings are killing it. Their stock isn't killing it like Exxon, but it's doing well. But they're paying the same dividends as Exxon, even though they're, what, 30% smaller than Exxon? Uh So the fact that They're able to pay the same dividends as their largest competitor, even though they're smaller. Tells you a whole story on where they see value, which is in their shareholders and their employees. So, you know, just hats off for Chevron board making the right decision. Mike Worth needs to continue to run this company. He's done an amazing job. And I'll expect him to continue to do an amazing job. It is going to be interesting to see who they pick to replace him. When I look at the current Chevron executives, not one of them stands out as the right successor which it's not that Chevron, you know, asked my opinion on who should be their next CEO. I
1: don't know. They listen. (laughs) Um,
0: But I would not be surprised if they're looking outside of Chevron, which I actually think would be a good thing. Probably. Somebody that's a little bit different culture. you know. If you know the super major, Chevron's really a technology company that gets oil the ground. Mm-hmm. To bring somebody in that maybe has a stronger financial background might be a good addition to the, the executive team. Anyway, congratulations for Chevron Extend the 10-year, Mike Works, 10-year CEO. I wish them all the best.
1: All right. Total Energy Spud's first of hundreds of wells in Uganda mega
0: project. 190,000 barrels per day. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 190,000 barrels per day is their target. This is crazy. Listen to this. They drill 420 wells. You want to guess from how many pads? How many? 31. Whoa. Think how small an impact they're having to their environment when you have 420 wells from 31 pads. They got rigs operating right now. There's all kinds of really cool stuff going on. Of course, the the environmentalists are jumped all over this. And uh, Total Energy has done everything to make them happy. They're burying flow lines. They're re-injecting 100% of the field's produced water and has committed to zero flaring. Now, let me be real careful there zero flaring they're still if there's some emergency they still have to flare Yeah. so don't come back and tell me they flared Mark you were wrong I'm talking about routine flaring they're gonna have zero routine flaring this means that all that natural gas will go into the system it won't go to be vented to the atmosphere and then they're gonna actually use that same field gas to produce electricity to supply the facility's electricity and whatever's left over there gives to the local population right so this is like a win-win
1: that's a definite win-win all
0: the way around now listen to this our favorite company SLB Oh, you mean Schlumberger? <laughs> Schlumberger. <laughs> they have the contract for directional drilling completions and artificial lift with Total Energies, but the China Petroleum Chemical Corporation was awarded a separate contract to build all the project's of oil and gas transmission systems. So, if you think about what's happening, Total Energies is bringing different expertise from different parts of the world to have best in class construction, construction management, safety, and production facilities. This is going to be an incredible project. They expect that this project, once they're up and operating, doing 190,000 barrels per day, about 10 years after they're up and operating, they expect it to peak at (laughs) 230,000 barrels per day. And then they're in the process of building the East East African Oil Pipeline, ECOP. (laughs) How oh, that industry loves these acronyms. <laughs> ECOP will deliver much of that new supply to the port city of Tango a neighbor in neighboring Tanzania. And then this pipeline, of course, will help all the countries that it crosses. And eventually they'll build an LNG plant for natural gas so they can export the LNG. This is crazy good for everybody. Now, if you've been around for a little while, you remember that. All discoveries were made in Uganda back in the early 2000s, but nobody could ever commercialize it. And now we're starting to commercialize this. So this is jobs and prosperity for Uganda and the people there, but it's also more energy for the world from a part of the world that is so underdeveloped. Yeah. I think the future for hydrocarbons is Africa, and this is a perfect example.
1: Occidental picks AWS as cloud provider. We don't have any bias here, do
0: we? <laughs> well, let's see. AWS is one of our sponsors, and Occidental is our that's friend. Why I that's actually why I picked it. And actually, where were we? Was it Sarah Week, where we walked into – what was it called? It wasn't Occidental. What was the name of the company, their spinoff for the direct air capture?
1: Oh, my buddy. You know, Ch- you know my, yeah, one of the guys that worked at yeah, 1.5? 1. Yeah, 1.
0: yeah, that's it. 1.5? Something, something yeah. like that. Yeah, all right, so Josh yeah, try- works there. Yeah. So <laughs> we're trying not to have bias here. So basically Occidental picks AWS as cloud provider choice. Occidental will use Amazon Web Services to reduce IT infrastructure costs and develop systems for their carbon removal plants. The fact that Amazon's helping Occidental with reducing carbon emissions while the world's having growing energy demands and making sure it helps secure energy security for all the communities in different countries around the world. This is a wit win all the way around. Now, AWS is working with 1.5, which is Occidental's subsidiary, to develop and design system architectures for its large-scale direct air capture plants. And of course, DAC, another acronym, the DAC plants remove basically carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. It's a technology using high-powered fans to draw air to a processing facility. The thing about direct air captures has never been commercially viable. What is commercially viable is is removing CO2 from concentrated sources like the flumes from an ethanol plant or any other type of place where there's a large concentration of carbon dioxide. But in this case, Occidental has worked out the technology and the machinery to actually capture it from the air. And of course, you know what's gonna happen after that. The carbon dioxide gets moved around, gets stored, gets used for other commercial uses. And the fact that AWS is helping digitally transform all of that It's just better for everybody. It's better for Occidental. It's better for the health, safety, and environment. It's good for Amazon. We love them to death. You know, when we look at the big cloud providers, a couple of them, I'm not going to mention names, Microsoft and Google, are very, very (laughs) anti-oil and gas. And it bothers me because they have no problem taking money from the oil and gas industry. Right. But they don't want to promote the fact they're working with the oil and gas industry. Mm -hmm. Amazon said, you know what? We have a different approach to this. We think the energy transition is legit. And we think that we're here to help the oil and gas companies in the transition. Now, whether the energy transition is legit or not, that doesn't matter. But it's the fact that AWS is stepping up to plate, helping Occidental. And it's a win-win for everybody. It's a win-win for Occidental. It's a win-win for our environment. It's a win-win for the employees. It's a win-win for Amazon. So just love seeing We've got a lot of like wins on this episode. It has been a lot of wins, yeah.
1: Good deal. Well, we're about to stop that. Woodside suspends oil and gas production at Trinidad and
0: Tobago Fields. So let me tell you what's interesting about this. You know, I kind of get the rumor mill. You know, I have contacts and people that reach out to me. And anytime there's something going on, I get to know the inside scoop. I don't always talk about it because sometimes I can't. Right. Because of non-disclosures and stuff. Anyway, so they shut in this offshore production operation at Trinidad Tobago after a process safety incident. I can't find out what that was. Really? I've reached out to people that actually work for these companies that work in this part of the world, and nobody has a peep about what actually happened. Process safety incident, and I know that nobody got hurt. I know that much. And, yeah, and, yeah, and, I, I and, did know that And too. even their own report said that you know all their personnel are safe and accounted for, and they're working really hard to resume safely resume operations. I don't know what this process safety incident could be to shut the entire plant down. It will be interesting to find out if we find out.
1: They say, quote, unplanned technical issue.
0: Yeah, so if anybody knows what happened, I'm not being nosy for being nosy's sake. I'm being curious because I want to know what shut the entire plant down. Now, this is the third largest gas producer in Trinidad and Tobago, and they produced about 13% of the total gas produced there. Now, let me tell you what happened, which was unexpected but predictable. When they shut this plant down, so 13% of the Trinidad and Tobago's natural gas went offline immediately. All of a sudden, the plants that were buying this natural gas had no feedstock. So then electricity plants start dropping. Other plants that use the natural gas just part of the process started going offline. And so it was actually had a real big impact to their economy because of this plant going down. So the National Gas Company of Trinidad and Tobago, NGC, said that because of the shut-in, that reduced available gas volumes have affected both electrical generation and other commercial facilities. And it's hoped that this matter will be resolved in the shortest possible time frame. As far as t- today, July thirty first at six thirty two PM Central Time, it has still not been resolved. I'm gonna keep an eye on this because I am just I'm generally curious what took the entire production down. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Very curious indeed. Okay, Saudi Arabia's economic growth slows as oil cuts, price drops, bite into revenues.
0: Yeah, so this is a really interesting thing because you have to remember, Saudi Arabia, when you look at OPEC, Saudi Arabia is really the country with the foot on the gas pedal. They're the ones to step on the gas and increase production or take the foot off the gas and decrease production. They've had production cuts, and the reason they've had production cuts is that China's economy didn't boom back like everybody thought it would, except for me. I knew it wasn't going back <laughs> like that because of the second round of COVID. But anyway, so they're trying to keep prices high, which they've done by reducing production. But it's also hurt them from an economic point of view. But there's some interesting stuff hidden in here. So Saudi Arabia, under Crown Prince Mohammed bin salem the Crown Prince probably five years ago came out with an economic vision that was not focused on hydrocarbons. They understand how to make money on hydrocarbons. They have one of the cheapest production facilities in the world. Basically, they pump a gallon of seawater in the ground, a gallon of oil comes out. They do have a social economic cost that nobody talks about because they have to keep their young people working so they don't radicalize. But in the grand scheme of things, since the 70s, they've always been economy based on oil, which is great, right? It's caused them to have tremendous wealth. You know, all of those nations do. However, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salims about five years ago came out and said, you know what? We need a different source of revenue than oil. And they're actually building out tourist attractions, right? So they call this the non-oil sector, which is really funny. Everybody else would call it tourism, but because they're <laughs> is so based on oil, they have to call it non-oil. So during this slowdown in their economy, their tourist business has grown over 5%. That's actually very substantial in a country that you don't think of going to vacation on, right? Yeah. So even though their hydrocarbon business lost about four percent, their non, non what do they call it non oil sector grew five and a half percent. That's telling me that his vision and his putting money into tourism is actually working, right? Their main source of revenue will always be hydrocarbons, but being able to diversify that a little bit, I think, is really cool. The other thing is that part of the world sometimes has some limiting belief systems that are a bit old-fashioned based upon the local religions. And by having more tourists come in, you're just going to naturally help educate people that live in that part of the world about other parts of the world, yeah. right? Which is just kind of good for everybody. Now, the back in last year, the International Monetary Fund had dubbed them the fastest growing G20 economy of 2022. And we're expecting the economy to grow at about eight and a half, eight point seven percent it actually didn't grow that. It grew about 8.2%. And then this year, it's dropping even further. So this downgrade reflects not only the production cuts that were done, in, I believe, in April with OPEC, but also from the strong non oil GDP growth actually helped them keep it from being as bad as it was. So the slowdown is actually interesting in the fact that it's showcasing that they actually have a tour, budding tourism business, which is not something that I would have ever guessed. So if anybody out there is listening in Saudi Arabia and would like to have OGGN and come and visit some of your tourist stuff, I would love to do it. Reach out to me. I'd be happy to get in discussions and see if we can make that happen.
1: It's too hot here. It's too hot there.
0: You know what's sad? What? It's hotter. So today is the hottest. I saw this. Just, 102, right? Yeah, the hottest it's been in Texas this year, today. It's actually hotter here than it is in Saudi Arabia today.
1: Oh, I bet because of the humidity.
0: is that crazy? That's wild. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, Maybe.
0: <laughs> so maybe we'll go on vacation here just to get away from the heat. Can you Imagine going to Saudi Arabia telling people you're going to Saudi Arabia to get away from the heat. <laughs> you do know they have the world's largest indoor ski slope? Oh,
1: oh actually, yeah, yeah yeah, yeah, I did know that. I yeah. did know that. I don't know why I knew that, but I knew that
0: yeah so that, that sounds I su- go snow skiing. I'd love to do that right now. I'd like to just go sit in the snow. it's so hot here.
1: Yeah, no kidding. I don't like the cold. Anyway, all right, so let's get on with it. U.S. extends Citgo Petroleum's protection from Venezuela creditors to October.
0: So if you don't know this, Petrovesa bought Citco, golly, a long time ago. Then Petrovesa, which is a Venezuelan nationalized oil company, basically ran its economy in the ground through corruption. It's so bad that even today people are still trading oil for rice and beans to feed their people. You know, you've heard me talk about how Chevron's starting to move oil out of Venezuela, which is going to help the economy, but it's going to take a decade for it to really help. So one of the things that happened is Petrovesa defaulted on loans and at the same time caused Sitka, which is an American company, which they own now, to not – honor contracts are already in place. So it's literally billions of dollars. I think it's $3.46 billion judgment. There's six companies that brought this to court and they actually won. And so what Citco doing, and with the help of the U.S. government, this is the U.S. extending Citco's petroleum protection from Venezuela creditors to October, is basically saying even though you won the court case and you have a right to take this money from Citco or the shares from Citco, however you want to do it, you can't right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, last year Sitco did almost three billion dollars in profit, which is crazy. This first quarter of this year they did nine hundred and thirty-seven million dollars profit. Why? Because they're a refiner. And what the world what is the world going through? An energy shortage, where's the constraint in refining? Rainy. So yeah. of course they're killing it right now. And so, but the holders of the Petrovesa's defaulted bonds from 2020, those bonds are backed by a 50.1% stake in the Citco parent. That 0.1% is super important. That means it's controlling, right? It's over 50%. Right. So, if Petrovesa loses this appeal that's challenging the bond's validity, U.S. District Court will have no choice but to release a hold on this, in which case the creditors then can – Either take the money from Citgo or take shares that are equal in value, which means Petrovesa would basically lose control of their American subsidiary. Now, before everything crazy happened in 2020, I would have said this would be a really bad thing for Petrovesa because they're losing the U.S. market, which is the reason they bought Sitco to begin with is they wanted to ship their crude to the U.S., have it refined and then sell it in the U.S. market. But since everything has happened during 2020, that has is not happening. And there's so many sanctions against Venezuela right now that they can't do that business. So in some ways, I almost think if they let the creditors come in and take ownership, depending on who the creditors were, if the creditors were, say, big companies that understood the oil and gas industry, it might actually help Citgo out. I still have friends that work at Citgo. Let's see where this thing goes. It's really crazy. I know a lot of stuff that I can't talk about that, you know, Citgo's Parent Petrovesa did from a business point of view that was just ludicrous, like just insane. And so I really would like to see Citco disconnect from Petrovesa. However, that happens, I think it would be good for Citco long term wise.
1: Good deal. Good deal.
0: So, yeah. I am not going to talk about advertising.
1: Cool. Let's talk about the rig count. Let's
0: talk about the rig count.
1: (laughs) All right. US is at 664, down five. Canada's up six at 193. Internationally, we are up to at 967.
0: Speaking up, if you've been paying attention to our LinkedIn company page, Juan is rocking and rolling. We have posts going out all the time. If you want to follow us and know what's going on, the best thing to do is go to LinkedIn. Just follow our page. It's very simple. It's you and 50,000 other of your friends following that page. We have much, much, much more to come. Not going to tell you about it now, although we did talk about it on Behind the Curtain. So if you're a listener to Behind the Curtain, you know what I'm talking about. And if you're not a listener Behind the Curtain, you have to wait just a little bit longer before we announce it on this show. But it's just all good stuff. Speaking of good stuff, if you want to put a question in for First Friday Q&A, either go to alltheyaskthisweek.com or Intercom. Both have places for you to leave a question. You can also hit us up on social. If you leave us a question on social, it's fine. Don't leave us a video. It just means we have to transcribe it. Just type. The text in your question on social. But our preference would be for you to go to any of the two websites I just mentioned monthly oil and gas events email if you wanted to be notified of oil and gas events that are going on plus some secret stuff and sometimes coupons for free entry just go sign up we never spam you stick it out in your inbox once a month if you want myself or any of our experts and boy do we have experts now let <laughs> me know we're happy to come and do a live podcast do a keynote a lot of sales and marketing organizations like to bring us in a lot of companies like to bring them in for their customer events love doing that sort of stuff whoo ready to get out of here yeah Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.